0: Thanks for doing that. So hospital regulations require that someone being discharged must be taken from their room by wheelchair. So a student nurse went up to get a patient, and she wheeled into the room. And there she found an elderly gentleman already dressed seated on the bed with a suitcase at his feet. He resisted and argued that he that he could make it out of the hospital on his own and didn't need any assistance. But after a brief conversation about rules our rules, he finally acquiesced and, and got in the chair and she wheeled him down the hallway to the elevator and the elevator started down. And while it's going down, she said, will your wife be meeting us? He said, I don't know because she's still up in the bathroom getting out of her hospital gown. Sometimes I feel like that student nurse. I think that, that I've got the focus. I think that I've got the passion moving the right direction. And then I discover I just missed the big picture. So today... We are doing something that we did last year at this time Last year at this time we gathered together and we brought a day's wage We were going to bring we brought a day's wage so that that we could help with those who are hungry throughout the world And so you came and and we already had been hit by this economic disaster that we have faced for over a year now and so we were Wondering how you were going to respond and how you respond was just incredible. I was just so delighted and, and excited. I was so excited that I, that I got on Skype and I Skyped my daughter in Africa who's been working with the poor now for four to five years. And she's been working with the poor, getting food to them when they needed it and also understanding how devastating and oppressive poverty can be. So I couldn't wait to tell her what you all, we all did together. And so she, she, Skyped back to me and she, and she said, she typed out the words. She said, I'm so proud of you guys. This is so exciting. And then she asked me this question. She said, is it sustainable? And it just took the wind out of me. She's asking if, if hunger is still upstairs in the bathroom waiting to change or did we, were we able to bring her home to heal? What I wanted to do was Skype back to her the old infamous party song, Every Party Needs a Pooper, That's Why We Invited You, Party Pooper. I said, look what we've done. And yet and she casts this, this huge thing in front of me, and it just seemed like such a drop in the bucket. And, and I didn't, I didn't want to face that. I, 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 I wanted to do as, as, as I want to do sometimes. When I go into my closet and I come out with something on, and my wife looks at me, she goes, Oh don't no. No, not that. So I go back in the closet and I come back out and she'll go, "Oh, still no." no, not working. So then I'll go back in and I'll come back out and she'll still go, "Huh? Oh, Mm-mm. Uh, you planning on people seeing you today?" And what I want to do is just finally is just put my fingers in my ears and just go la 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 la, 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 la and walk out the door. So we come to this spot where we're going to do something for the poor and, and, and I, look, I look at the magnitude of the problem. I look at the injustice we've been looking at in these last weeks, the injustice around the world. I gather with some friends last night and, and we look at the slavery. 27 million people in slavery in the world today. And more than you could ever imagine here in the United States. Five-year-olds, in brothels. And it just blows my mind. And, and I think of the poverty and, and the amount of people who are dying because they don't have water today. And I see that entire picture, and I and I don't want to face it. I, I just want to come on a Sunday morning and sit here with you and worship and and, and and put my fingers in my ears and go, I am a friend of God, I am a friend of God, and just let it blow by me and and, and shake your hand and give you a hug and go to Longhorn and have a round, nice juicy steak and go home and watch the Steelers play and just forget about it. So how do we deal with the magnitude of this issue? And it is, is it our responsibility? i want to propose to you today that we cannot allow ourselves to be imprisoned by the enormity of the task we we must hang on to what we know as truth and the truth is this and you know it say it with me for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son stop there god gave And when God gives, he gives to the fullest extent. In fact, if you study the history of God's interaction with with humanity, you'll find that when God gives, it's always more than enough. When he takes a couple million people out of Egypt and they go through the wilderness and they say, we're hungry, he says, okay, I'll give you something every morning. And when they come out in the morning like dew on the ground, there is this bread from heaven. They call it manna, which literally translated means, what is it? That's what they, say. they walked and said, what is it? What is it? That's it. That's what we'll call it. What is it? But you never find them ever changing the name to where to go. They never came out and said, what, what, what happened to it? Because always there'd be enough for them to pick up for the day. They'd leave the remainder. It would dissolve. They'd go back and get some more. And on the day before the Sabbath, they'd collect for that day and the next day. And there was always plenty. Never where to go. Jesus is sitting on the hillside teaching and he looks around and there are 5,000 heads of household, which means there's got to be like 20 to 25,000 people listening to him teach and they're starving, they're hungry because really poverty is a basic basic thing in that region. And so he turns to his boys, his disciples, and said, we got to feed them. And they said, well, we don't know what to do. And Jesus said, what do you got? And they said, well, here's a kid with some loaves and 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 some fish. And so Jesus begins to break it and, and spreads it out to them. And you don't find that they get all the way to the end and there's 5,000 people left and they go to them, hey, sorry, we're out of fish sticks. You, you will not get any. We got some extra bread. No, by the time they got done, they had 12 big baskets full of leftovers. Because when God gives, there's plenty. Jesus is is there at the Passover with, with his disciples hours before he is going to be crucified. He's walking them through the Passover meal. And he comes to the cup and they understand what he's saying now because he says this cup is the beginning of a new covenant. He changes the format of the Passover meal for they'll understand that it really is a redemptive meal and he is the redemptive lamb that takes away the sin of the world and it's his blood that establishes a new covenant, not the old covenant, but a new covenant. And they're just blown away. And he says, this seals it. Take this cup. And he says, all of you drink it. Now, they didn't get down to the 10th disciple and he looks and and there's nothing left. And he reaches in and and just tries tries to get some out. When my daughter, Christy, was was really young and we were planting a church in Boise, Idaho. It was one of the first times that she had taken communion. And I looked at her and she took the cup and, and the bread. And first of all, she looked at the bread and thought, well, is this all I get? In fact, sometimes I look at what we do on Sunday mornings when we have communion, and one of these days, I'm just going to give you loaves of bread because we get those little crackers. And, 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 and then we gave her this little plastic cup, and, and we already explained to her what it means, and she understood that. And so then she, she drinks the cup, but there's still some left. So I watch her. She reaches in with her little tongue to get the very bottom of that plastic cup. And she forces out all the air in the cup. And now it starts on the end of her tongue. She, she pulls, and, and her tongue just comes out. And, and she, can't, she can't get the cup off her tongue. After church, we talked about probably the appropriate thing is not to do that next time. There was still some left over. So when you're dealing with God, will you please understand that when God gives, there is always an abundance. So now the issue is this. If God gives an abundance, then why are those people starving? Because God has already decided that when he's going to distribute what he's come to give us in humanity, it always comes through a body. God has always used a body. He creates this nation of Israel so that the world will be blessed through Israel and that they will be a kingdom of priests. And you watch the priests and you'll see who God cares for and how he cares. And so they are to bless the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so God puts on a body to bless the world. His followers gathered together in Jerusalem following christ's departure and they're celebrating the feast of pentecost the feast recognizing what god did on mount sinai giving the new covenant and on that day there is a sound of a mighty wind and these they call them tongues of fire on people's heads symbolic of what had happened in the old testament And the Spirit of God comes upon them and they become the church. Paul the Apostle later would describe the church this way, that Jesus is the head of the body and the church is that body. That we today are that body. So that we are now freed up and empowered to give as God would want to give because we are his body. The prophet Micah, Micah 6.8, said that what does he want his body to do? He wants his body to act justly. He wants his body to love, to love mercy. And to humbly follow wherever God is going because we are the body. So it simply means this. To act justly means to not hide from doing the right thing. You can't hide from it if we are his body. Jesus didn't hide from it. So I was horrified to read just recently on October 24th, during a homecoming dance, a 15-year-old girl who really wanted to go to homecoming steps outside of the place where the dance is held, and she is sexually assaulted for two and a half hours by 10, at least 10 peers, with 20 witnesses watching, and they never did a thing. And when asked why you didn't do a thing, their response was, well, we weren't sure it was our responsibility. And and secondly, we didn't want to be a snitch because it could have been dangerous for us to be a snitch. If we truly are the body of Christ, God's body, then he says, I've empowered you and freed you up that when you see the issue where injustice is done, you have the power to confront it and not hide from it because it is so opposite of the culture of the world we live in. To love mercy means to passionately use what we have to relieve another's pain. To be pumped up about it. You know, I'm so proud of you. I interviewed Kelly up here a couple weeks ago, and she is here choosing poverty for a year. To live in poverty so that she can help those who are refugees. And we explained to you and I point blank, I said, "I said, so you're serving them and, and how's your poverty? And she said, there's days I don't eat. And you, you were incredible. We didn't have her up here to have you respond to her. We had you up here to respond to the need and eerie. But you came after her to respond to her. And you continue to supply things for her. And we're just, we're just so proud of you. And, and I don't want you to feel that it's not appreciated. But let me ask you this question. Has it put you any place yet where you're uncomfortable or has it caused you any pain you don't want to feel as of yet? Because the time will come that if you're the body of Christ, you will be in a place that you say, I don't want to be here and you will feel a pain that you do not want to feel. And you have the choice to leave it. To humble ourselves before God, to follow him means to fight every resistance in us that says, I don't want to do this and to stay there. I mean, that's what Jesus did. Go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying there before they're going to take him and crucify him and to beat him. And he says, I don't, I don't want this cup. I don't want this deal. Is there another way? If there is, then please tell me. And then he prays a second time because he's got his answer. He says, okay, I know that there's no other way. So not my will, but yours. And he already explained what he was going to face. Matthew 26, verse 26, tells us this, that while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Christ's body was made for the Eucharist. I want you to just say that phrase with me. Christ's body was made for the Eucharist. Say that out loud. Christ's body was made for the Eucharist. The word Eucharist actually means this. It means good gift. The Eucharist is a good gift, and it's simply this. It's a life poured out and not avoided. Christ put on this body, became God's body, so that he could pour out from that and bring good gift and not avoid having to do that even though he wanted to. Which means that even if it's dangerous, we have been given power to give what we have to bring justice and to rescue those who are in pain. But here's the problem. You say, I I, I know that, but but those people are not my people. I really don't understand them. It's not really my responsibility. That's marginalization. That's saying, I don't need to help you because you're not my people. You go to Jerusalem, and there was this wonderful, wonderful, beautiful temple. And inside the temple was a holy place. The holy of holies where God camped out. And you want to get to God, you go there. Outside that temple was the court where the priest performed their sacrificial duties. Nobody else could get in there except the priest, as well as nobody could get into the holy place except the high priest. Outside the place of the priests was the court of the Jews where the average Jew would go to worship. But you're not going to find any Gentiles in there. They're not allowed, because outside of that court is the court of the Gentiles. And they can't get through because there's a wall that separates them with this inscription. Any Gentile entering into the court of the Jews will be killed. So you want to get to God, sorry, you can't get through that wall. It's called marginalization. To marginalize someone is simply this, that they have no access others have because of an unjust use of power so how do you break that down one thing is needed one thing one thing that removes marginalization and brings people together one thing god's body paul the apostle wrote this in Ephesians 2:14 the messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this both non-jewish outsiders and jewish insiders he tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit, and had equal set access to the Father. God's body, Jesus Christ, breaks down the wall so that all have equal access to whatever God is giving. And it is obvious as you look at his word that we are the present Eucharist. You look at us, how we function should tell those who are observing, this is how God is giving. This is how God is poured out and giving what he has to this world by watching us because we have been empowered and freed to do so. Jesus simply called it in a parable, loving our neighbors. This religious guy comes to him and says, what should I do to to really please God and get to your kingdom? And he says, well, do you follow the law? He said, oh, I'm great with the law. And Jesus said, well, let me tell you this. He tells him a story about a guy who's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's beat up by thieves. His clothing is stripped off. Everything he has is taken and he's left for dead. And three religious leaders come by. Three. And they walk by and they marginalize the guy. They say, you're not part of our group. Therefore, I'm not giving you anything that I have because you're not part of the group. Along comes one who's never been part of their group. In fact, he's an enemy. He finds this guy that should be marginalized by him and he encompasses him. He takes care of him and brings him healing. And Jesus simply says, so who's the neighbor? And he said, well, that's that guy. He said, okay, that's the deal. There are no walls. So let me just ask you a simple question. Who's your neighbor? In fact, let me just ask you. I want a response. When he's talking about the neighbor, who should your neighbor be? Everyone. It specifically should be the person in front of you that has the need. So I told you the story about the girl, true story, just a few weeks ago, October 24th, gang raped. And as I told you that story, my question to you is this, what did you do with that story in your head? Did you say, other city, other people, other high school, not my deal, not my campus, and you took it and you put it over here? Because you don't have a connection. Let me tell you the truth. Would it make a difference, because this is the truth, that that girl that was gang raped for two and a half hours is a devoted follower of Jesus, goes to church three days a week. Now suddenly you've got a connection. You've got all sorts of questions. Why, God? How did that happen? Who let that thing happen? You have a connection. So my question to you is, does it make a difference whether the injustice happens on Parade Street or a street in Pakistan? Can we say it's not our concern? Not if we're the Eucharist. We don't have a choice. Michael Orr, his his mostly absent father all of his life, was finally murdered his senior year in high school. Michael's mother has always been a crackhead. He repeated both first grade and second grade and attended at least 11 schools in the first nine years of his school life. He got shipped from foster home to foster home to foster home so often that he never, ever had a permanent address until he was age 16. At age 16, he enrolled in a private school it was instigated by a friend whose, whose son was also in that school, and so he applied for a Briarcrest Christian School. They accepted him, but they didn't think he'd do very good because his grade point average, Now, I read his grade point average, it was .09. I mean, you should just get that for just walking in the door. Nobody thought that he'd do very good, and they kind of stood back, except for one family whose daughter was in that school, Leanne and... Sean Tuohy, saw him and they took him home. They had resources. They said, what are we going to do? Let's give those resources. They hired a tutor that spent 20 hours a week with Michael. Michael's grade point average went from .09 to 2.65. And he started playing football because now he could go out for football. They adopted him. This next week, somebody found out the story. They're making a movie out of it. And that's not why I'm telling you the story this morning so you go see the movie because I haven't seen the movie so I can't validate if it's good or bad. But the story is the Eucharist. The story is someone breaking their own lives and pouring out and giving to another. To just give you a a handle on that story a little bit, I want to show you the trailer. And again, I want to tell you that I'm not telling you to go see the movie. You figure that out but the story's real.
1: at him, Sean Junior, you clean this room up before you come downstairs, you hear me? Okay, big smile, Chewy family.
0: Come and get it, y'all.
1: Everyone, thank your mother for driving to the store and getting this. Thank
0: you,
1: mom. Thank you, Mama. He's been enrolled in seven different institutions, including a gap of 18 months around the age of 10, when he apparently didn't attend school
0: at all. I tell you, most kids with his background wouldn't come within 200 miles of this place. Class, this is Mike Orr, and he's new here, so I expect you all to make him feel welcome. Hi.
1: Smiling, It lets them know you're their friend. I'm sure. Who is that, Esther? Big Mike. What is he wearing? It's below freezing. Do you have any place to stay tonight?
0: Don't you dare lie to me.
1: is this a bad idea
0: that's the big deal it's just for
1: one night it is just for one night right find some time to figure out another bedroom for you this is mine yes sir
0: never had one before
1: What a room to yourself A bet it's already nice what you're doing but don't be surprised if one day you wake up and he gone Michael was here last night tell him to sleep with one eye open. you threatened my son you threatened me Rays have improved enough that you can go out for spring football in March.
0: One, two, three, this team is your family, Michael. When you look at him, you think of me, how you have my back. Are you going to protect your family, Michael? Yes, ma'am. SJ, you're going to want to get this.
1: Who's the big guy
0: eating with your little brother? It's his big brother. I think what
1: you're doing is so great.
0: Sandra Boyd.
1: Well, you're changing that boy's life. No. He's changing
0: my The blind side. If you watch football this weekend, look for Michael playing for the Baltimore Ravens. And you know what line I like in that trailer? You threaten my son, you threaten me. That's Eucharist. That's God's heart. When Israel had been oppressed, pushed, in poverty, enslaved, listen to the heart of God the Father, to the prophet Ezekiel, which, by the way, as I read this, is the naked church. It is who God has said we must become in these next years. You want a vision for this church in the next three to four to five years? This is it. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord, and I will search for the lost, and I will bring back those strays. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with what? Justice? That's my body. He said, if you are the body, here's what you do. He said, I will put a healing wrap on that which is shattered. That which is crushed. I will come to you because I see your shattered and crushed condition. And I will stay with you and wrap my resources around you until you heal up. I will come to you that are in an unhealthy state. And I will become strength for you until you have your strength back. And he says, but you that are sleek and strong. And it's, and it's not a positive word there, either one of those. The sleek actually means fat and I looked up the word it actually means so fat that the oil is oozing out of the flesh. Oh, you fat tub of lard. That's what he's saying. You have have just hoarded everything. You have just taken it in and you've given nothing. In fact, it has made you obnoxiously forceful with other people because he who has all the stuff rules. And you have ruled because you've had that power. And I'm telling you, when you threaten my son, you threaten me. Don't you mess with my kids. See, my goal this morning is, is not to make us feel guilty for what we have. But we've got to understand this, that we must not confuse blessing with entitlement. We can't do that. And I want to talk about two entitlements this morning. And, and one of them I do out of necessity right now because we're dealing with it. There are those who feel entitled to what you have because in this economy they do not want to work. They will come to you and they will say to you their story, which is a fabricated story. They will try to scam you. They will try to tell you their hard luck story so that they can hoard from you and the next person they come to and the next person they come to and the next church they come to so that they can hoard what it is that you have. And out of the generosity of your heart, you give it. And you say, wait, pastor, you're telling us to take care of the poor. I'm telling you those people are not poor. They're conniving. It's happened in this church for the last two weeks. A gentleman came in this church. We confronted him. He came back the next week, waited till we were in service, and caught some of you coming out of the woman's restroom and gave you the sob story, and you gave him money because your heart is good. I'm asking you to use your heart and discernment and wisdom of God because what you give to those who scam you, you cannot give to those who are really in need. That is injustice. And they will do it in a several ways. First, they'll come to you and try to reach your heart. If they can't get your heart, they'll quote scriptures to you to make you feel guilty. And then, if that doesn't work, they'll get forceful with you. They'll try to intimidate you. They've tried that here the last two weeks. Last week, they tried to intimidate one of our pastors. And the guy finally left. Now, here's what I'm telling you, that when you don't know someone who's in need, research who they are, and if they're especially connected to this church, you're connected to this church, we have people here skilled in discovering what the truth is. We don't want to turn away anybody that's in need, but we will not tolerate the injustice of someone using someone else's poverty to get their stuff. So I'm asking you to let us know, and we have ways of discovering who they are. We get identity, and we check out their stories. And so I'll just say boldly here, if you're one of those people in this congregation, we want Jesus to love you and take care of you, and we will help you get out of your issues. But don't you try to steal from God's people, because we will find you out. And everybody smile. Thank you. i tell you, you just heard from a shepherd's heart, and I won't tolerate it. Now, let me tell you about the other entitlement. That's the one where we confuse it with blessing. Do you know that 3 billion people on this planet, 3 billion people on this planet survive off of $2 a day? The average teenager in America spends about 150 a week. So these guys are down here going, who are those people? <laughs> Did you know that 40% of the Earth's population do not have basic sanitary conditions and we throw out... Daily forty million diapers. Most people in the world do not have cars. One third of Americans have three cars. We've got to be danger we've got to be careful that we don't run into the danger of of beginning to accumulate. The driven the, the drive to accumulation can lead to a desire for entitlement. That's who we are. We're Americans. We have that stuff, and I'm going to live in this culture. I've got to have this stuff. And so it's entitlement because it's our people. We people have this stuff. The problem is that entitlement will eventually lead to immunity to the suffering of other people. Let me put it this way We are a godly nation, in God we trust. So therefore he has blessed us and because he has blessed us we have stuff And if those muslims in africa, would 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 follow jesus then they would not have the desperation they have We deserve what we got and they deserve what they got. Oh, please don't ever go there Because that's not true at all Entitlement comes from the lack of gratitude Because gratitude says, look what God gave me. Okay, God, you gave this to me for a purpose. What do you want me to do with this? That is gratitude. Not, okay, now I can go buy another Xbox. Oh, now I can go buy the third car. Okay, I can go buy whatever. God didn't call us to do that. He said, you're my body. And my body pours itself out. Entitlement comes with a curse. Blessing comes with a call. See, our blessing is given as a call, and we should take it that way because when God creates Israel, he says, why? Because you're there to bless. And when he creates the body of Christ, which we are, there is a call. The author to the book of Hebrews gives us that call, Hebrews ten twenty four. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Good deeds comes from the Hebrew word mitzvot, which means to take action, to heal, and to repair the world. That's what it means. Let us figure out what we can do as his body to see how we can heal and repair the world. That is our calling. You say, that whole justice thing is not just a social gospel? No, it is the gospel. For us to go where there is injustice and try to bring healing and repair... That is God's expectation for us. When we decide to act justly and to love mercy and humbly follow God selectively to certain people, have we threatened God because we threatened his son? Because here's what Jesus said, the day will come that I will say to you, I was hungry and you didn't give me food, and I was thirsty and you didn't give me to drink, and I was in prison and you didn't come visit me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. And we take that scripture and we think about the people that are in a three-yard radius and go, ah. but did we thought about the other people? Not so close to us. Have we marginalized them and said, you can't have that stuff because you're not part of our group. Jesus said, when you have not done it to the least of these, you've not done it to me. And God says, when you threaten my son, you threaten me. God is serious. Proverbs 21, 13. In great wisdom, Solomon says, those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. When we forget the people who God cares for, we forget God. This is not optional. We are His body. We cannot say, I will take salvation and a slice of prosperity to go. We are His Eucharist. We have been energized. We have been empowered. We have been freed. To pour ourselves out to those who need, so what do we do? Well, we do what Hebrews said. We take action. So let me just give you some simple steps this morning. Do something, not everything. Don't look at the big, the big picture and go, "Oh, well, what am I going to what, what little bit I can do is not going to make a dent. It will do what's in front of you with what you have no matter how small or big so in my mind the big thing is my daughter coming home from uh, a short stint in in liberia and sierra leone and coming home and saying i've got to go back to africa i'm selling everything i have so i can go back and hang out with the poor that's the big thing and i looked at it and i said we gave her to you god so there you go and some of you can do that Some of you can do be like Kelly and go give a year to somebody in poverty. Some of you can do that. Some of you can't. But some of you can do what my friend Michael did. He he took his his young daughters and his wife and he sat down and he talked about the poor and he said every Wednesday, all we're going to eat in this family is rice. And what we save in a year on a day of meals, we're going to send to an orphanage to feed children. And so they gave up a meal a week, a nice meal, and they just ate rice every Wednesday for a year. I mean, you can do that. Do what you can. Secondly, budget margins in your life, in your, in your resource of time, and your resource of, of dollars. We have packed our lives so full that when we see someone in need, we don't have the resources to give to them. And it's been been God's plan all along that when he gives us things that we leave the margins there to give to others. Here's what he told the children of Israel. Leviticus 19, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien, for I am the Lord your God. I want to encourage everybody in this place, as you are are walking through your financial peace university stuff. when And you're getting your debt load down. You leave margins that you have not committed to anything so that the time comes that God says, here's a need. You can go, here, 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 here. Give yourself those margins. Finally, give out of poverty. Some of us in this room think, you know, times are tight and, and I'm feeling pretty poor. Do you know that we spend more on trash bags in America than nearly half the world does and all their other goods. We spend more on the stuff that takes away the stuff we don't use. We spend more on that than the people who use their stuff. You say, "But, but, but, but I'm poor. Compared to who? Paul the Apostle Wrote to, wrote to the church at Corinth and said, Jerusalem is in this famine and there's people starving. And so I'm going to come and get an offering from you that you can help those people. And I want you to do the same thing that, that our friends over in Macedonia did. Our friends in Macedonia had this issue that they were poor. In fact, they're just like the people in Jerusalem, but they begged to give. And so what they did, they gave out of their poverty. So they gave up meals so other people could have meals. I'm simply saying to you today, That for some of us, we may just have to say, we'll give up some things that we have so others can have some things that are just basic in life. We must give out of our poverty. We have been freed and empowered to act justly, to love mercy, and to humbly follow Jesus. And my simple question, as the body of Christ, as the Eucharist, is what will we do?
1: I love the American way of life. I love my single family home. I love my backyard. I have a pool and a barbecue grill. One of my favorite things to do is to go to baseball games. In So many ways it's the typical American life, but it wasn't until a few years ago that it dawned on me that I might be enjoying the very best of life at the expense of others. I was overwhelmed recently by some numbers that said that in the United States annually we spend $18 billion on makeup. We spend $15 billion on perfume. And at the same time, $10 billion, if put towards the crisis of bringing clean water to people all across the globe, would solve the water crisis. That $18 billion would bring food to every hungry child and adult on the planet. And I begin to look at the disposable income, the things that I spend and spend and spend on and begin to wonder how God must feel, what he would think as a father when he looks down on all of his children. And on a flight with a friend recently, I was asking him this question, what, what, how do you think God feels about how we live and the suffering that goes on in the world? He said, Chris, if you'd imagine it this way, you have four children. Imagine that your third son, Solomon, was unbelievably successful. He had some skills that were marketable. He went out and made excessive amounts of money, just really flourished. And every year he would come home at your birthday and Christmas and lavish you with gifts. And yet, your oldest daughter, Hannah... And her children and grandchildren were living in a place where they didn't have clean water. Literally, her children were dying because uh, they would drink dirty water, they would get diarrhea, and they would die. Just as in this world, one child is dying every 15 seconds because they don't have clean water. Imagine your other daughter, Trinity, and her children. They lack food and basic necessities. They're starving to death. And your youngest son, Christian, and his children, they lack education, shelter. How would you feel towards your son Solomon? It's a really good question. I know. I'd be furious. I, I cannot imagine. The only way I I, I can I, I couldn't even imagine that he would ever do that. That he wouldn't take care of his siblings. And it dawned on me what he was setting me up for, that the the truth is that we are all God's children. As God looks down and realizes the fact that we don't take care of one another, that we may be enjoying the very best of life. And I'm all for the best of it. I'm for ball games and hot dogs and apple pie. But what if we began to um, be more strategic in our spending and we could live a beautiful life and at the same time take care of the least of these? If I was a father to children that weren't caring for one another. I would do everything I could to help them understand the importance of it. I think our God, through the scriptures, has done the same thing. It's time we listen and act.
0: To do with that. So I encourage you to go back to what we've said, take action, do what you can do, margin in your budget. I want to encourage you this morning that if you can assist even now today, some of you have come prepared, Pam and I have come prepared, that today we have brought a day's wage. And we're asking God that as we give this, those people who will receive Thanksgiving baskets will know that God cares. We're praying today that as we give this, those people that Convoy of Hope reaches better than anybody I know in the world, reaches those folks who are starving, those people who don't have water, that they will know how much God cares for them and loves them. And our Father will be pleased with our actions today. So I'm going to invite you that if you'd like to join with us, you take that envelope that you've had or just grab another one and you just everything taken in this offering will go toward helping the poor. And my goal is this, that what we do today is not just a project, but what we do today begins a lifestyle. A lifestyle that says, that's our family. And when they hurt, we hurt. And when they're hungry, we've got to feed them. Because that's what God's called us to do. That is the naked church. So thank you in advance for your consideration. Thank you in advance for letting God speak to you and what you will give. Not just now, but in the future. So ushers, will you come? And let me pray over this. So Father, we bring to you our gifts today. Feeling that it is just so small compared to the, to the need. But you know how to multiply. You know how to, how to make wealth. So we bring this to you today and ask that you will multiply it and you'll give us the ability to be more aware and alert of the people around us who hurt. And may we act justly, love mercy, and humbly follow you. Being the Eucharist to this world, we will pour ourselves out because we are your body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.